Who in here is a mess? Oh, they're rusty. You're lying. <laughs> We're all messes, right? Thank God Jesus isn't a mess, and thank God he calls us beautiful. You know, the Bible says that he, he tells us that we are precious and honored in his sight. And it says that he loves us. Isn't that such a relief? Because I don't know about you, but I think, you know, some days I just feel like an absolute basket case. And I know it's not by our feelings or whatever, but man, I'm so grateful for the grace of God. So, so grateful. Faith is my birthday, buddy. We were uh, born on the same day, just different years. So <laughs> I'm so happy to see you guys here. I didn't think there was going to be anybody here. So we are the few, the proud, the non-campers, apparently. <laughs> Actually, I'm a camper. I like camping. I have a theory that um, I do believe that for those of you who are here today, for whatever reason, whether it's because you couldn't afford to go camping or the campsites were all filled up or you, for whatever reason, God has a special RV for you in heaven. So <laughs> call me a heretic, but <laughs> I, do, I do enjoy camping. I really, really like camping. And I like every kind of camping, but I have actually never done glamping. Have you guys seen those like $500,000 RVs? I just, just once, I'd love to do one of those. I heard they have like hot tubs in them and everything. I just think that'd be fun. Anybody ever glamped? No? Nope, nope. It's kind of like staying in a hotel, I guess. But anyway, I'm so thankful you're here, despite the fact that it's a holiday weekend. And I'm so grateful for the 4th of July, for the, the remembrance that our that we are still free, that we still can worship, and that this country was founded on biblical principles. That is an undeniable fact. And so I would like to, at this point, acknowledge those who have served in the military in any capacity. Um, if you wouldn't mind standing up, I know you're all too shy and, and quiet, but we want to just acknowledge. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's so important for us to acknowledge those who have really sacrificed for our nation. And we're forever grateful to you guys. So thank you so much. Um, I want to just acknowledge our American Fort Campus. They're joining us online today. So we love you guys. Uh, hello. Um, today, <clears throat> this message, whew, I have to say this I really agonized over this message, um, probably more than most, because, uh, you know, I, I thought, hey, we should do the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus, I mean, come on, how can you go wrong there? Whew, I'm not saying that we're going wrong, but wow, this this message that we're going to talk about today, I do believe affects each and every one of us. I believe that it is an epidemic that is very devastating and very um, destructive to individuals, to families, to our culture. And what I'm talking about is D-I-V-O-R-C-E. Anybody know that song? Yeah. Well, Gotta love country. Um, yeah, we're talking about divorce today. And before you shut 
shut me out before you go, oh, this doesn't apply to me. I want to say this does apply to you in one way or another. This, either you are a victim of divorce, whether your parents divorced or you yourself have been divorced or you're considering getting a divorce or your kids are considering getting a divorce or you may be called upon at some point to counsel someone who is thinking about getting a divorce, a coworker or a family member or something. I believe that that each and every one, how many of you, let's, let's just be honest here, how many of you have ever known a person who was divorced? Yeah, okay. 100%, even those you didn't raise your hands, I know you're lying. So <laughs> we are all affected by this. And, and so I, the most important message I believe today, for those of you who have been divorced and are possibly remarried, or if you um, have been impacted in any way, is the message of God's grace. God is gracious and compassionate. He is a forgiving God. And so I want, I want to make sure that everything that is spoken today is filtered through that message, the message of God's love. His love is so great. Um, how many, do, do any of you know how much divorce has increased in the last century? If you were here for service, don't answer this. Anybody have any idea how much it's increased in the last 100 years? 700%. 700%. It has increased. It used to be very difficult to get a divorce. But today, any reason whatsoever, you can get a divorce. 70% of children who are considered at risk come from broken homes. 70%. You know, people will often say, oh, well, you know, we, we got a divorce, but kids are resilient. They'll be fine. You know, I can just say I have been in ministry for many, many years, and I have seen the devastation on children of all ages. It doesn't matter. Some of my closest friends had parents who divorced when they were adults. And it's still to this day a painful, painful thing. I've had, you know, known people who had their parents divorce when they were very young. Devastating. It's devastating. It is painful. It is a painful, painful subject. But God, hallelujah, is a God of hope. And that is the message today. God has hope for us. And so if you're sitting there thinking, oh, man, I'm just going to get beat up today, I, I pray that you don't. Remember, God's kindness leads us to repentance, and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation, but there is hope. And so um, as I studied this, wow, I, I, I really went back and forth. I mean, I, I, I cannot believe how controversial this topic is. This subject is absolutely all over, all over the place. And different scholars, some are so hard-lined and say that divorce is never, ever, ever acceptable. Others are much more lenient and say, you know, for, ver for a variety of reasons. The two camps, you know, the God is just and then the God is gracious and somewhere in between. But I promise you, God is all loving and all powerful. 
and the teachings of God are always countercultural. You know, what our society says is acceptable oftentimes is not acceptable in the eyes of God. We're going to focus today on two particular verses out of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verses 31 and 32, and it says, this is Jesus, you've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now, when Jesus says this, when he says, I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, this is a very specific word. Some translations use the same word twice, but this word is for fornication or for pornea, which means any kind of sexual deviancy other than male and female, husband and wife married together. Any other variation of that is considered fornication or pornea. And this is what Jesus is talking about. And he says, anyone who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery, which means unlawful sexual acts with someone that you're not married to, with someone else's spouse, or if if you're married with another person. And it says, and anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. So the second word, when it says commits adultery, that is moikia, which means adultery. These are not synonyms. Jesus specifically used both of these words. And some scholars say that the first word where it says pornea or that she has been unfaithful, they say that, okay, let's set set the stage here. Matthew is Jewish, And he is speaking to the Jews. He's teaching from a Jewish perspective. So he knows a lot more insights and a lot more of the traditions and the culture and everything that he's going to be speaking to them from. He's writing from that standpoint. And so in the Jewish law, not to get too graphic, but it is in the Bible. So when a man married a woman who he suspected to be a virgin, he hoped she was a virgin, And on the wedding night, if there was evidence that she was not a virgin, um, I'm talking about uh, blood, if there was no blood following the act, the marital relations, that meant that she was not a virgin, and that is what some scholars say it's talking about that here, is that the marriage is on false premises, is that the, the husband assumed that his wife was pure on their wedding night only to find out that she wasn't. And so there's a whole section in Deuteronomy 22 that talks about, you know, you have to bring in the, basically the sheets to prove, no, she wasn't. I mean, all kinds of stuff like that. Aren't you glad we're not under the law? Whew. Can you even imagine? Don't imagine. Okay, so, um, <laughs> but anyway, so, so some scholars claim that that's what this is talking about and that because she has been joined to another man, therefore, when she's getting married to this husband to which she was betrothed or maybe not, who knows, that, that she is then committing adultery with him. You understand? So it's saying basically that when Jesus is saying, unless she's been unfaithful, and this is, not, this is not universally accepted, but it's just one of the views, is that it's really talking about 
she's basically coming into the marriage under false premises. And therefore, he has been deceived and, and has the right to divorce her. However, um, we're going to get into it later on. We're going to talk a little bit about what the Old Testament has to say about it. We're going to talk about some other cases, what Jesus talks about it. And we are going to talk about certain cases where divorce is considered uh, acceptable or um, at least the exceptions they talk about considering divorce. Again, back in verse 31, it says, You have heard it said a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. So the context, again, back then, in the, in the time of the Israelites, they could pretty much divorce their wife for whatever reason. Divorce was really bad for women in their culture. Because let's say um, she burned the chicken. He could divorce her for that. Or she let herself go. Or she didn't please him in whatever way. In that culture, if she doesn't please him, I mean, that's pretty broad stroke, don't you think? If she didn't please him, you know? And so it's kind of like, did you know that there was no such thing as a no-fault divorce until 1969? Actually, Ronald Reagan was a governor of California when that was instituted. Up until that point, it was extremely difficult to get an, a divorce. You'd have to go to court, and you'd have to fight, and they'd have to you know, have all these things. The definition of no-fault divorce says it's a type of divorce in which the spouse is filing, the sp- in which the spouse that is filing for divorce does not have to prove any fault on the part of the other spouse. All that a spouse has to do is to give any reason the state honors for a divorce. Up until this point, I mean, historically, it is tragic to read about divorce because, like I said, it was always way worse for the woman because the woman, before the no-fault divorce, the woman would have to prove somehow that her husband was unfaithful and she had to have an extenuating circumstance such as abandonment or abuse or neglect, or something else, whereas a man only had to prove that his wife was unfaithful, and that was it. It was over. And I I actually did a lot of study on the history of divorce. I'm not going to really go into it today, but it is tragic, the things that happened throughout history. Um, But fortunately, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.31, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Okay, this is the biblical definition of marriage, is that the two leave their parents and become one. And some versions say it's a profound mystery talking about Christ and his church and how Christ loves the church, serves the church, lays down his life. That is a profound mystery that it's talking about. Um, John Piper says, marriage among Christians is mainly meant to tell the truth about the gospel. Keep your marriage vows in such a way as to tell the truth about the unbreakable love of Christ for his church. Now, one of the biggest problems with divorce is 
is that you take you with you. Yeah. Think about that. So you think, oh, if I can just divorce this joker, I'm going to be off. I'm so much better off. No. Because you're going to take you with you. Because even if you're in a situation where that person is abusive or that person is, you know, an adulterer or whatever else, you have to trust that God can move even in those circumstances. And I'm not saying that if you're in an abusive situation, you need to stay there. Absolutely not. If you're, if you're in danger, there is such a thing as separation, but do not be quick to make a decision to do something that is so devastating. Trust that God can do miracles. I could tell you so many stories about marriages that have been reconciled, about situations where you would think it was absolutely hopeless. But God holds marriage in such high esteem that he even compares it to himself and his church. That's how, how big a deal it is to God. And when we understand the standard for what love is, somebody's going to change their ringtone. <laughs> but God's standard for love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, is not rude, is not proud, is not self-seeking. Ooh, that's a really high standard. Not self-seeking. And you notice that a lot of times when couples first get married, do you, do you realize that most of the time they, they don't have a lot of baggage that goes along with them? You know, they haven't built up years and years of resentment. You know, they still love each other. They still die to themselves. They still want to serve. They still want to please the other. But what happens is for so many of us, we, we start to get hardened in our attitude toward our spouse. And we stop forgiving. And we stop extending grace. Instead of becoming like Christ in the church, instead of loving and serving and forgiving one another, we hold resentments and bitterness and we withhold our hearts from them. The, the biblical standard for marriage is meant to be, first of all, lifelong. You know, in the vows we say, till death do us part, or, you know, as long as we both shall live, or whatever. So the reason that we say that is because Jesus said that in heaven, there will be no marriage. In heaven, we will be like the angels. So it says there will be no marrying nor given in marriage. So even though we, talk, we hear a lot about the eternal family, that is not a biblical concept. Yes, we will all be family, but we won't be these individual separate units. And I don't understand how the whole thing works. All I know is that in heaven there won't be a need for marriage. Maybe because we'll be so enamored with the love of God that we won't, we won't have that desire to segment ourselves. <clears throat> Excuse me. But so it's supposed to be lifelong, Biblical marriage is supposed to be covenantal versus a contractual. Now, a contract is what you write up, and if anyone reneges on anything or they, they break the contract, it's over. Whereas with a covenant, a covenant is made to never be broken. It is a vow that is to be taken very, very seriously. And a, and a Christian, godly marriage is supposed to be a covenant. 
In other words, you shouldn't even mention the D word. You know, in 28 years, I've told you guys this before, Eric and I, we made a promise to each other before we got married that we, we were never, ever, ever going to let that word pass our lips. We were never going to say, you know what, I want a divorce. Never. Because I believe that when you start to, to let yourself go there, you open yourself up to a spirit. Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he wants to divide, and he wants to destroy marriages, and he wants to destroy families, and he wants to destroy kids. He wants to destroy lives. And when you start to utter that word and you start to open yourself up to that possibility, I think that you are absolutely opening yourself up to all of the demonic forces that would want to come in and try to sever you. So if you are married, please stop using that word. Don't ever use that word with each other. Never. Biblical marriage is supposed to be permanent, as I mentioned. It is supposed to be monogamous. In other words, only one other person. You and one other person, and it is supposed to be male and female, the way that God created it in the beginning, and we'll get into that a little bit later. And also, it is supposed to be like-minded. In other words, you are supposed to be equally yoked with that person. They should share your beliefs. They should believe in the same God that you believe in. They should be born again and filled with God's Holy Spirit and have a love for your word. And if you're not married, if you're still single, do not ever marry someone who does not share your faith. Do not because it is a painful, painful thing. And I could, again, I can tell you so many stories of situations where people, they thought, oh, if I just marry this unbeliever, then I'm going to lead them to Christ and we'll live happily ever after. That is not how it works. That is not how it works. So what is the most common reason Excuse me. What is the most common reason people cite for getting a divorce? Any irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable differences. What a weak excuse. <laughs> you know, Eric and I were married 28 years and we had a lot of irreconcilable differences. <laughs> Let me promise you. Like I kind of had a hard time remembering to lock the doors. And he had a hard time remembering to pick up his used Kleenex off the floor. <laughs> I mean, any other human being on the face of the earth, you're going to have irreconcilable differences. Do you understand that? You can't just say, oh, we can't stay together because we have irreconcilable differences. Now, again, if you're in an abusive situation, if your life is in danger, if you're being threatened, if you're being hurt, of course you need to separate. But if it's just because he wants to have the toilet paper under and you want to have the toilet paper over, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little things. And what are we called to do? We're called to lay down our lives. We're called to lose our lives for those that we love. We're called to, to serve and to give up our position, to give up our rights as far as you know, things like that. Like, are we going to have chicken or 
steak for dinner. You know, it's those little things. And, and you'd be amazed at how many of those little things can creep in and cause people to turn their hearts from each other. And that's, that's the thing. We're going to have irreconcilable differences with every other human being. The only human being with whom you will agree 100% of the time is with you. And sometimes maybe not even that, <laughs> depending if you have split personality. But anyway, <laughs> Jesus doesn't advocate divorce. Why? Do you know why? He's called us to love our enemies. <laughs> Some of you didn't get that. <laughs> Your wife will explain it on the way home. <clears throat> the secret to a happy marriage is for you both to be in love with the same man. I know that sounds twisted but if you're both madly in love with Jesus and you both want to serve him and honor him and love him and know him and know his word and his ways things can work out again well I'll talk about that a little bit later um, in verse uh, Matthew five thirty-two, it says this is Jesus He's saying, now you've heard it said that you can get divorced for pretty much any reason, but I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Remarriage in the eyes of the Lord is considered adultery. It's considered breaking the seventh commandment. However, divorce and remarriage are not the unpardonable sins. What is the unpardonable sin? Blaspheming the Holy Spirit, saying that which is of God is of the devil. Denying God, denying the works of God. However, some churches and some ministries will treat people who have been divorced and remarried as though they were the scum of the earth but in every situation what do we do when we re- when we recognize that we have sinned against a holy god which we have all done on one level or, or another what do we do what do you do when you recognize that you've sinned against god you confess your sin what else you repent and you receive god's forgiveness I just, I just feel like this message, there are, really, there are some ministers and some scholars who take such a hard stand on this. It's as if you can never be forgiven for having been divorced and remarried. Even some, if you were divorced prior to coming to the Lord, they just, they just have this hard stand on it. And I believe once you're born again, you're a new creation. You're a new person. You're completely new. The old is gone. And I believe that the Lord makes provision for us to confess our sins. And it says that if we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And I just, I know that there are those of you who might feel like this is, this is too hard to accept. It's too hard to receive. But I want to urge you by faith, to open your heart up to the possibility of repentance and forgiveness because that is what Jesus Christ offered for us all on the cross, whether we have been divorced or not. 
in Matthew chapter 19. Now remember again, Matthew is speaking to the Jews. And some Pharisees, who are the Jewish leaders, religious leaders, they came and they tried to trap him with this question. So the Pharisees are coming to him with a question, not because they're open and teachable or they really want to know what he teaches. They're coming because they want to get Jesus in trouble. And they say, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And I love, I love Jesus. I love how he answers. He, always, he answers a question with a question, right? He says, haven't y'all read the scriptures? Haven't you guys read the scriptures? So he puts it right back. What a burn, huh? I love that. Jesus can do that. He says, the scriptures record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Since they're no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And they say, then why did Moses say in the law that they could give a wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Because he did, right? Moses did say that. That's what they're basing this on. This is, this is tradition. Moses gave this, but then Jesus busts them again, and he says, hey, he says, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. You see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying it's because your hearts were hard. That's the only reason he gave you that. And that's, again, what I'm saying. You know, you see, you see newlywed couples, and they don't have all these issues with each other because they haven't hardened their hearts toward one another. They haven't allowed themselves to have a root of bitterness come in. You know, they still kind of maybe have rose-colored glasses, which is okay. But for those who are married, it's we are always called to forgive. The Bible says it is to our glory to overlook an offense. You know, we're called to lay down our lives. But here Jesus is saying it's only because you have hardened hearts. But this was not what God had originally intended. So rather than always looking for the exception, like, oh, do I have grounds for divorce? Look to God for hope. Jesus says, I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless the wife has been unfaithful. He repeats that. Jesus' disciples said to him, if this is the case, it is better not to marry. Now, this is spoken of as the exception clause. It's except in the case of, it's not necessarily adultery. It could be adultery, but any kind of deviancy, any kind of, even you know the word pornea that I was talking about? That actually has its roots in idol worship. And if you'll notice throughout the Old Testament, almost every time there's idol worship, there's also sexual perversion or sexual sin. I mean, it got really bad in certain cultures. Really bad. Shrine prostitutes and sacrificing babies and having all kinds of crazy things going on that were, that were in their idol worship. And, and that word pornea means that. That's what it has its roots in. And this is the exception clause. And there are certain allowances for which the Bible says that divorce is acceptable. But I want to warn you, 
Don't be looking for the clause. Don't be looking for that exception. You know, I know that there are those of you who you may be married to someone who's addicted to porn, and I know that is excruciatingly painful. We talked about it last week. You know, this is the same Jesus that's talking about picking your, plucking out your eye and cutting off your hand if you even look at someone with lust. I mean, this seems so severe and so extreme, but I also know that you have to always understand things in the whole context, the whole counsel of God, and his is a message of grace and forgiveness and mercy. You know, again, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get too graphic, but if you're in a situation and you're married to someone who's molesting your children, obviously God would not want you to continue to allow that to happen. Absolutely not. I do not believe that is the heart of God. Or say your spouse is going to a prostitute, or they're a serial adulterer, or they, they continue to repent. Or, I mean, they, they refuse to repent of their affairs. I know that all of these situations are devastating and painful and heavy. But I just say, be very cautious about looking for that out, looking for that excuse to leave. Not that there can't be separation again. But in the Old Testament... This is what is spoken of divorce. In Genesis 2, 24, it says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is the standard. This is how God intended it from the beginning. And you cannot talk about divorce without going to the very last book in the Old Testament called Malachi. And it says in Malachi 2, 16, it says, I hate divorce. There aren't a lot of things that God says that he hates. Six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, feet that are quick to rush into evil, uh, something and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. I can't remember the other one. But it says he hates divorce. Now, it's hard to understand how a God who is so loving and forgiving and gracious and compassionate and merciful can say that he hates divorce. It does not say that he hates divorced people. You need to know that. He does not hate divorced people. He hates the devastation and the effects of what divorce does. And, you know, I heard one guy, I was a little offended, but he said, he said, well, Divorce is far worse than losing a spouse. I was like, well. And I've never been divorced, so I don't know. However, I do know all grief is terrible. All grief is painful. It's not beneficial to compare. So the devastation of divorce, however, tends to be an ongoing thing, which makes it a completely different thing especially when there are children involved or custody battles or whatever. It tends to be an ongoing, continual wounding, continual tearing. And that's why God hates it, because God loves people. 
and God hates the devastation that takes place in a soul and what it does to families and what it does to children. And I don't care how old they are. It breaks apart people's souls, their, their homes, their security. And God loves people. He loves you. And he does not want any of us to deal with something that was never intended from the beginning. It is a tearing apart of flesh. And the fact is, and I'm not saying this to cast any stones at anyone, but divorce is always the result of sin. Always. Because Jesus said it was never intended to be this way from the beginning. And it may not be your sin. It may be 100% that other person's sin. I doubt it, but it might be. But it's, there's always sin. It's not always necessarily this even 50-50 thing. But there's always sin involved in divorce. Always. And God hates sin, and he hates the effects of sin, and that's why he hates divorce. It is the tearing apart of flesh. If two become one, it's like ripping apart two. If they become severed. And even... Once you get married, when it says you become one, you're stuck. You're stuck to that person. So be careful. Those of you who are single, you haven't gotten married yet, be careful. Make sure that the person that you're marrying, you you have to understand. Okay, so the marriage vows are for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. When couples get married, they don't think about the worst part. They don't. They don't think about the worst. They don't think about the poor. They never think that's going to happen. Never think about the sickness. But here's my question. For those of you who are single and who are considering getting married or whatever, think about this. What is the absolute worst thing that could happen in your marriage with that person? And are you willing to go there? Are you willing to stay committed to make a covenant to stay in that relationship, even in the worst, even in the poorer, even in the sickness. Because that's the reality of it. And when you make that covenant, you make those vows before God and before human beings, that is what is binding you together and you are stuck. So whatever you hate about that particular person now, you are going to hate a thousand times more (laughs) later. Can I get a witness? No, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand if you're married. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Deuteronomy 24 says, suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. (laughs) Having discovered something wrong with her, it's like, that probably doesn't take a whole lot of genius. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. Again, when they, they bring this to Jesus, they're telling him, this is what it says. In Deuteronomy, and Jesus says, again, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female and said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. Keep in mind, the idea of marriage was given to us by the same God who in the book of Hosea said, I want you to go marry Gomer the hooker. (laughs) Think about this. 
You don't get married for your own personal comfort or happiness. You get married to reflect Christ in the church. You get married to reflect God to a dying and lost and hopeless world. It's not for our own personal comfort. It says in Hosea 1, 2, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. You're like, what? Why? Why would God have him do that? Especially since her name's Gomer. (laughs) Can you imagine she's born? It's a girl. Oh, she looks like a Gomer. Sorry, if your name is Gomer, I apologize. It's a beautiful name. Um, <laughs> says, go marry a prostitute so some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Guess who Israel is? We are. You know, we, we read the Old Testament sometimes and we're like, those idiots. <laughs> Remember what? What happens when you say that? But we think that, we really do think that we wouldn't have acted that way. But guess what? Newsflash. (laughs) We are just like the Israelites. And that's why it says in the Bible, these, these things have been given to us so that we can know how to avoid those mistakes. Not because we're better than them or we're, we're more knowledgeable or anything other than having learned from what Israel did wrong. And here, God is saying, Hosea, holy man of God, prophet of God, go marry a hooker to demonstrate what it's like when Israel worships idols and how they have turned their hearts from me. This is the same God who calls us to continue to forgive and to reconcile time and time and time again. So when is divorce permitted? Again, I want to caution you, don't be looking for that clause. Don't be looking for the way out. If you're considering divorce, this is a serious thing. God hates it. And it says in Hebrews 13, for give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. So the Bible talks about adultery and fornication and it also talks about, in 1 Corinthians 7, it talks about desertion or because of unbelief or because of hardness of heart. It says, for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. This is Paul the Apostle speaking here. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, He must not leave her. You see this? He must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For a believing wife brings holiness to her marriage and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy. But now they are holy. 
But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize your wives might be saved because of you? And it says down in verse 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. So essentially what this is saying is if you, let's say, for example, again, you, you both get, you get married, neither one of you knows the Lord, and you end up becoming a believer, and your spouse is not a believer. It's saying don't just divorce them because you're, you're not equally yoked. It's saying stay with them. Pray. You might be the only person on the planet that's praying for that person. Pray for them. It says, however, if they want to go, let them go. Don't try to convince them or force them to stay married to you because God has called you to live in peace. I know I've shared this story with you, but um, if, you've, if you've ever heard of the guy named Raul Reese, he's a Bible teacher. The story, he, he was married to a woman who was a Christian, and she took her kids to church one night, and he got a gun, and he was sitting there with the gun, waiting for his wife and his children to come home because he was going to shoot them all. So his wife goes to church, and here he is sitting with the gun. So he was bored. So he turns on the TV, and he starts watching TV, and this Bible teacher comes on and talks about how you can be forgiven and reconciled to God. He ends up getting down on his knees, prays to receive Christ, receives a forgiveness that Jesus offers on the cross, and his wife comes home from church, And he's like, hey, guess what? (laughs) Can you imagine? He was abusive. He was an alcoholic. He was cruel. Obviously, he had murder in his heart. And yet, she said that when they had intimate relations, she would be praying for him. He didn't want to leave. I'm sure she did. In that situation, I'm sure she wanted to leave but she continued to pray for him. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying if you're in physical danger, stay in that situation. But I am saying, if you believe in a big God and you believe in a God who can do miracles, don't be looking for the way out. Don't be looking for for an exception clause. Be looking to God. Um, Romans 7 says, just as an aside, for those of you... um, If you lose a spouse, you are free to marry anyone as long as they're a believer. So the question is, what can we do? What can we do at this point? Let's say that you're in a situation where you are married or you're divorced and remarried. I know some Bible teachers would say, oh, you need to get a divorce. You need, I I do not believe that is the heart of God. But again, I'm not going to tell anyone what to do because you you have got to hear from the Lord, but I do believe that God will speak very specifically to you as a couple and to and to obviously forgive forgive your ex and forgive yourself to confess your sin 
maybe to confess it to your community group leader or a trusted friend or pastor. You and your spouse confess it together and be open to doing whatever God calls you to do, even if it's uncomfortable. And ask God, God, what do we do? Where do we go from here? You know, I had couples between, um, between services say that they had never even considered that they had broken the seventh commandment. But you see, there are ten commandments, and we, we all break the commandments. Unfortunately, we want to live lives that are sinless. We try to. We strive to be holy and upright, but if you are in a situation where you have been divorced and or remarried, there is grace and there is forgiveness for you. I just encourage you, open your heart to the Lord. Open God. Open your heart to the possibilities of what God would want to do. And if you are the victim of a divorce, if your parents divorced or, or close friends of yours and it severed your relationship or family members or whatever... I just know that God has healing. God has healing for you. God can heal the devastation that divorce brings. God is a God of hope. And he does not disappoint us. Can I invite the worship team to come up? We're going to spend just a few minutes just surrendering to the Lord, giving our hearts back to the Lord and opening ourselves up to him. And I just want to encourage you at this point to really ask the Holy Spirit to speak specifically to you, to speak really clearly to you about your own situation. If you want to come up and, and kneel up front, that's fine. I don't ever want to become ritualistic, but would you stand as we get ready to surrender? Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you so much that you are a God of mercy. We thank you that you are a God of hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Lord, we thank you that you have poured your Holy Spirit into our hearts. God, we thank you that you are a God of love. We just ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, as we come into your presence, as we sing and worship, God, we pray that you would speak clearly and specifically. I ask, God, for your grace to cover over this room and to cover over those who are watching online, God. Just cover us with your grace, Lord. Thank you that you are a God of forgiveness. Lord, thank you that even though we have all fallen short of your glory, we can be redeemed, God. We can be forgiven and restored, and we welcome that, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we bless you, God. Can you just start speaking to the Lord? Thank you.